This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Good. You excited to be here? Happy President's Day weekend to you. I've decided that President's Day is one of my favorite holidays because you get a four-day weekend, at least my kids out of school, four days. And there's nothing expected of you on President's Day. You don't got to go anywhere. You, got, you don't got to make any special food. There's no gifts to buy anyone. <laughs> Low expectations, four-day weekend. I'm, I'm all in. Um, I am excited to wrap up the series, Fill the Earth. Go ahead and get out your journals. Get out your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to Romans 8 and then Revelation 21. Uh, But before we dive into the word today, I want to give you, as promised, an update on our um, Answer the Call offering. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Ashley um, taught on um, our responsibility to answer the call, and she shared how it's our goal to raise $100,000 by March 9th to send out of this house to go and fill the earth with God's glory and his goodness. And um, we're sending some of that money to Mexico and Puerto Penasco, where last summer I actually had the privilege to break ground on the first Christian school in that area. Like I did the whole shovel like thing where you break ground. Um, and it was a powerful moment. Uh, but they are actually holding classrooms or holding school right now in the classroom that our um, church helped fund and build. And then they're gonna build on to that um, school and expand it. And so we're sending money out to Puerto Penasco to do that. We're sending money to Thailand where less than 2% of the population there knows Jesus. And we're partnering with a ministry there who has boots on the ground that's sharing the gospel of Jesus. Um, And then some money's gonna stay right here in our own community. Well, we're partnering with ministries like Hope is Alive that's helping people out of substance addiction and helping them find new life in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. Um, we we uh, are, are going to be uh, sending some money to Real, a single mom's ministry here in the city, and then homeless shelters, all sorts of things. You can read about it all in that pamphlet. Um, that's a really old world pamphlet. Not a pamphlet. It's like a brochure. Um <laughs> And then there's a, there's a link to give on the app, but I want to show you, want to give you an update. Here is what is coming so far. We've got $24,730, wait, $24,730.33. And so we've got a couple more weeks um, for this initiative. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. Like Pastor Josh said last week, not everyone will go, but we believe that everyone is called to sow into what God is doing in the nations, in our community, um, through this offering. And so I want to um, just break it down for you. Maybe you're looking at that brochure, not a pamphlet, but you're looking at that. And um, it's like, man, I, I don't have money to build a school. But do you have money to buy some boards or to buy some nails or to provide some caulk for that school? Um, so I, it, the Lord showed it to me like this. If 100 people give $500, if 65 people give $200, and if 200 people give $50, then we will be fully funded by March 9th. So I want you to pray about what you are called to give, and let's live the liturgy, church. Like, let's live sacrificially. All of our money is not to be kept for us. So what can you give up? Like, what can you sacrifice? Maybe it's coffee. Maybe you don't get your hair done this month so that you can send money out and be a blessing and fill the earth and obey God's commands. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Somebody say, fill the earth. Over the last five weeks, we have been in this series. It's been so good. 
We've been tracing from Genesis to Revelations, God's or to Revelation, God's intention to expand Eden, to fill the earth with his presence, to fill the earth with his glory, with his image. And week one, we started in Genesis and we looked at Eden as a temple. Week two, we looked at God's intent, our commander's intent for Adam and Eve and how his intent for them is the same for us, that he created them in his image and he told them to fill the earth, that they're to be icons that usher in God's presence wherever they go and the same is true for us. But Adam and Eve were cast out of that garden temple because of sin. And then in week three, we asked the question, how could our holy God be with his people now that sin had entered into the world? Enter the tabernacle and the temple, which was a way for sinners to be able to come into the holy presence of God, to come in and to worship him, which is important because worship fuels mission. Remember that? So we could come into his presence and then we could go back out of the tabernacle to fill the earth with God's goodness and his presence. And then in week four, we talked about the inadequacy of the tabernacle and the temple. Remember Pastor Tondra, I gave the illustration of the fig tree. Um, the fig tree, it is fig season. It is ripe. The tree looks beautiful. You go over to it and you are expecting to be able to get some figs off of that tree, but there is no fruit. There is no figs. Jesus cursed that fig tree and it's a picture of the temple. Temple looks good. Temple looks pretty. But when you get closer, you see, oh, there's no fruit coming out of that temple. Enter Jesus. Jesus as the temple. He tabernacled among his people. He said that he was the temple, that he would be destroyed, that he would be raised up in three days. And through his life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection from the dead, he ushered in a new order. The priesthood was now changing. Jesus rips open the, the, the temple or the veil in the temple. And now we can come boldly because of the blood of Jesus into his presence, come into the throne room. We can worship him, which is important because worship fuels mission and we can behold him. And that's important because we become what we behold and we are supposed to fill the earth with his image, Jesus as the temple. And then last week we looked at the church as the new temple. Jesus is the cornerstone and as apprentices of Jesus who have it in our hearts that we're not going to just gather, but we're going to assemble as living stones, we are being built into the dwelling place of God, which grows into the holy temple of the Lord. So we can see from the very beginning that God has wanted this idea of the temple to go viral, his presence to fill the earth from the garden of Eden to the tabernacle, later to the temple, then to Jesus, then to the church, which brings us to the final installment. The last temple, which you will discover is not a building or a tent, but it's actually another garden. Today we're going to be talking about the new heavens and the new earth, which is exciting. We've been doing a lot of looking back, which is super good to look back. Um, but in, in, in this message today, we're going to look to the future to the garden city, to the holy city, to the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22. Dallas Willard says to live strongly and creatively in the kingdom of the heavens, we need to have firmly fixed in our minds what our future is to be like. We want to live fully in the kingdom now. Who wants to live fully in the kingdom now? I want to live fully in the kingdom now. He says for that purpose, our future must make sense to us. And that's my goal today. 
that you would leave here today with a, with a greater understanding of our future and a greater understanding of what's to come so that you can live more fully into the kingdom right here and right now. So Revelation, uh, go ahead and, and like I said, turn to 20, Revelation 21. And I'll just say this, I know that Revelation can be an intimidating book and um, by no stretch of the imagination, am I an end times expert? Um, I'm not here to debate pre-trib, post-trib theories. I'm not here to, to, to talk about what the rapture is going to look like. I'm not here to talk about like a timeline for the second coming of Christ. And, and in fact, I think that we do a great disservice to the book of Revelation when we come at it like a, a cosmic escape room where we're trying to like figure out all the codes and figure out all the combinations so that we can bust out of here. I also feel like we don't redeem our time wisely when we get into this book and we obsess over trying to figure out the date or the year when Christ is going to return. So we don't want to come at it like that. Um, I heard this said once and it really helped me to look at the book of Revelation like this. We don't want to come at it like a beaded bracelet where like one thing comes right after the next, um, one vision right after the next and it all is in like this perfect order. We actually need to come at the book of Revelation more like a collage where all the different visions, all the apocalyptic things that we see are scattered around one image in the center, which is God on the throne. So we're come at it more like a collage than a beaded bracelet. If you want somebody to solve the book of Revelation for you, I'm not that someone, okay? Um, I can tell you that Revelation is important, that we should read it, um, that it's a counterpart to Genesis. And it helps me when I look at it as, the three sec as three different sections. Revelation is made up of three different sections, which makes it a little bit easier to follow. Okay, so section one is where we find the seven letters to the seven churches. And in these letters, um, there's highlighted the good in the churches, like that they are faithful, even in the really intense persecution. They're faithful, they're good deeds, they're hard work. There's some good things that are pointed out to the churches and also some bad things that are pointed out in those seven churches, like apathy, things like immorality, things like you're neither hot nor cold, you're not useful, things like you've left your first love. The letters declare the triumphs, the failings um, of the recipient churches, and then they, they warn each congregation to repent, repent. So we see in that first section, those seven letters, that the church is not God's final plan. We're not the final plan, but the church is the last stage of God's plan within human history, meaning that the church will be around, the church will exist up to the end of this age. And if the church is faithful, and if the church endures, there will be rewards that they will inherit, which John talks about in section three of Revelation. But before section three is section two. And in section two, this is where like you, you, your kids, if they read this before bed, they're gonna be coming up to your room being like, um, we need to talk. Uh, section two is about the massive battles between good and evil, immense public judgments upon humankind by God, a time of upheaval when human wickedness is striding across the world stage. There will be geological, there will be biological, there will be human devastation. The earth itself is barely habitable by the end of it. And we see God in this section. We see God with humankind in judgment. Judgment is coming. But we also see that he is with his people during this time. He is upholding them and delivering them. 
Christ comes on the scene as the cosmic ruler to end the battle between good and evil and through his unquestioned victory and his overwhelming presence, accounts are settled. Justice is done in section two and evil is put in its place and it is rendered powerless forever, forever. And then we get to section three, and this is where we're going to camp out today. In the third section of Revelation, God's people enter into the fullness of God's new cosmos, into the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and into the fullness of his presence, where we reign with him forever. It's amazing. But before we dive into this much further, um, I want to remind you that contrary to popular belief, the biblical story does not end with us going away to heaven. Um, to float on clouds and to eat cotton candy and to play harps for Jesus. Um, it has a much better ending than that. The biblical story ends with heaven invading earth. Heaven invading earth. The end of the biblical story is actually a new beginning. And maybe you're thinking, okay, heaven invading earth, but wait. Pastor Sarah, you taught us last year that Jesus' message, his gospel proclamation was that God's kingdom had already invaded earth, that God's kingdom is here now in our midst. And you are right. And, and good job that you listen and you remember that that's what the gospel is, that the kingdom is here and now. But there's also more to come. And we know this because in the kingdom manifesto, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is explaining what the kingdom is like, what life in the kingdom is like, right in the middle of that sermon, when his, uh, he teaches the disciples how to pray. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's kingdom is here now, proclaims Jesus, but pray for more of God's kingdom to come, instructs Jesus. So this lets us know that we live in a now and a not yet world. Someone say now. Someone say not yet. Okay, God's presence is here. It is here now. God's kingdom is taking over. He dwells in us. God's kingdom is here in the incarnate body of Christ. God's kingdom is here now, but the earth is still cut off from the full life of heaven. It's here now, but it's not in its absolute fullness. His kingdom is now, and it's also not yet. Okay, think about a, a pregnant woman. Okay, we see glimpses of her baby before the baby is born. As the baby grows, guess what? The mama's tummy grows. You can see a baby hiccup in utero without any instrumentation, without any 3D scans. With just the blind eye, you can see a baby hiccuping in its mother's womb. It's wild. Uh, my mom, um, who had six children, she would say that towards the end of the pregnancies, she could see like and locate like that's an elbow and or, or that's a heel. And she could actually like grab onto our heel or our elbow. How many know that that baby is now yet it's also not yet? There's new creation here now, but it's also not yet. In the same way, we can right now see the signs that God's kingdom is here. Just now, in worship, God's kingdom, his presence is here. His kingdom has invaded the earth, but the full life of heaven, the full rule and reign of God, the full kingdom of God hasn't been pushed all the way into the world yet. And until that time, Romans tells us that the earth groans 
groaning like a woman in childbirth, awaiting the renewal of all things. Romans 8, look at it with me, 18 through 23. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Not yet. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse because of our sin. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Creation is looking forward to that day. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. At least the early church groaned even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So just as the pregnant mama says, this is nice. Like I can feel you kick and I can see you hiccup and I can see you on the ultrasound scan and I can hold your little heel. This is nice. But by week 38, by week 39, it's like, get out. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to hold you. I want to see you face to face. And just like, um, just like a, a pregnant mama, every follower of Jesus should feel the same way. This is nice. What we did here this morning when we were in your presence and we got to worship you together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is nice that I get to be your apprentice and I get to, to take on your yoke. This is nice that I can see you in the body of Christ and that hopefully the body of Christ can see you in me. Like this is nice, but I am eagerly longing and groaning for the day when the bridegroom comes back and gets his bride. I'm waiting. I'm ready for you to come. I'm groaning for the day when everything everywhere is exactly as God wants it to be. Yes. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9 describes the redemption of creation on that day. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. I don't know what a fatling is, but I imagine it's very cute, very cute. And a little child shall lead them. Also so cute, a little child leading a little fatling, adorable. <laughs> the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. There's no fear. There's no danger. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The earth will be full of the revelatory experiential knowledge. They'll know the whole earth will know the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's amazing, right? Okay, let's dive into this. Revelation 21.1. This is the Apostle John, and this is a vision, an apocalyptic vision that he had on the island of Patmos while he was in solitude. This is section 3 of Revelation, right? It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
I think it's important to note here that this word heaven is not referring to the place where God lives. This is referring to the sky or the universe. So when um, John writes uh, that he saw a new heaven and a new earth, he said, I saw a new sky and a new earth. I saw a new world. And then this word new can actually be translated renewed. Think of it like when somebody restores an old house like Chip and Joanna restore an old castle or an old hotel, um, or when somebody restores an old car. My dad actually restored a 55 Chevy uh, recently. This is my dad and his new, his, his restored truck. Those are the, my girls and, and the truck. And when this big reveal happened, he came over and he, he shows us the truck. It's not like, oh, that truck has never existed before. You see, the, church, the truck has existed since 1955. It's very much existed. In fact, I, it was the bane of my mother's existence, I'm pretty sure, um, for almost all of their, their marriage. It, it stayed in our garage. This is what it looked like before. Um, I lived in the same house my entire childhood, and this is what it was in the garage. <laughs> and so it very much existed. That's where they hid our Christmas presents. Um, and so it's existed since 1955. But when we saw it, we know that it is like new, that it has been renewed. And that's the idea here. That's the meaning behind I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I think often we imagine God is going to take the earth and throw it into a cosmic trash can and hit empty trash and he's going to start all over again but this reads more like he's going to strip it all down the interior the dash he's going to rip it all out the wiring the engine gearbox the external panels the windows the headlights everything he's going to clean out the junk he's going to sand it all the sin all the hurt all the pain all the sickness all the garbage all the pollution he's going to strip it all down but doesn't second peter say that he is going to destroy the earth with fire Indeed, it does. But Second Peter also says that God destroyed the world in the flood. Remember the flood? Yeah. Noah in the ark? It says that he destroyed the world with water. But we know that he didn't destroy the world and that it no longer existed. We know that he destroyed it in the, fa in the sense of he wiped the slate clean. Yeah. The flood was a restart. It was a global restart. So Peter writes um, in Second Peter that the earth and everything in it is someday going to be laid bare using a Greek word that means exposed, seen, seen for what it really is. Someday the earth is going to be discovered, how God originally intended it to be. Someday the earth is going to be found. So the earth is going to be destroyed by fire as it was once destroyed by water. But Peter says in the end it's going to be a really good thing because the fire is going to wipe the slate clean and the new heaven and in the new earth only righteousness will dwell. The earth will be renewed. It will be restored to an even better Eden. And you may be thinking, well, how could it be better than Eden? Scripture says in the new city, in the new earth, that um, nothing unclean can enter in. No lying, deceiving snakes, for example, are going to survive the destroying fire. It will be returned to an even better Eden. It will be laid bare by a cleansing, destroying, renewing fire. Okay, and then what? Revelation 21, we're going to look at verses 5, 10, and 22. 
Um, and I want to encourage you, read Revelation 21 and 22 this week. It'll take you like seven minutes. There's so much beautiful detail that we don't have time to get into, but we're going to look at verses 5, 10, and 22. It says, And the one seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain. Remember, Eden was on a mountain. Remember, the temple was on the mount. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So we have new heavens, new earth, slate wiped clean, and then a city comes down from heaven and it fills the new heavens and the new earth. Notice there's no physical temple. At the end of time, the true temple will come from heaven and it's going to fill the whole creation. Revelation presents the entire new cosmos as that temple that fills the heavens and the earth. And it is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And I want you to see that this is what God has wanted all along to fill the earth, every square inch of the earth, with his glorious presence, that the entire earth would be a resting place for his presence, that he would dwell with us and we would dwell with him and he would be our God and we would be his people. His dwelling place is now established among his people for all of eternity. So there's no more pockets of his presence. Like there's a pocket of God's presence here in Edmond, right? This morning as we worship, there's a pocket of his presence, but then there's still regions that are dominated by principalities and rulers of darkness. Not because that God didn't strip them of their power. Their power has been stripped, but because through our idol worship, we give power back to them. But there won't be any more pockets of presence and then principalities and rulers of darkness when the uh, new heaven or the new holy city comes down from the cosmos or sorry when the holy city comes down the entire cosmos will be filled with god's presence and his glory no more pockets the whole thing is filled with this glory now it's important to keep in mind that when we look at revelation uh, 21 and 22 and we look at these visions that the lord gave to john um you'll notice that all of the questions that our finite minds have about what the new world is going to be like, he doesn't answer any of those questions. Um, and it's okay. Like it, we need to understand that John's goal and the Lord's goal in giving these visions wasn't to satisfy our curiosity about the new creation. That wasn't the goal. The goal of this was to instill confidence in the seven churches and in the churches that would endure that creation was going to be reborn. It's not to satisfy our curiosity, like what's going to, what's the end of the, what, look, what's the new world going to be like and, 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 and what are our bodies going to be like and all the questions that we have, it's not to satisfy those questions, it's to instill confidence in us church that the earth is going to be reborn just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that's good news. Yes. But we do notice some details about the new city that call our attention back to Eden and that call our attention back to the temple. Um, let, let me point out a few of these. The Garden City and Eden both contain uh, a tree. They contain trees. They contain fruit. They contain rivers. They both have the tree of life in them. 
And then the Garden City, the New Jerusalem, and the temple have a lot of similarities, especially the part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. Remember the Holy of Holies? We've been talking about that throughout this series. Um, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the temple was the innermost sanctuary of Yahweh. It's where his presence rested. It's where his presence dwelled. It's where his presence was most intense. And only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. So some similarities between the new Garden City and the Holy of Holies. The Garden City was paved with gold. The Holy of Holies was plated with gold. The Garden City is described as a cube. The Holy of Holies was in the shape of a cube. So there's some interesting similarities, but there's also some notable differences. In the Garden City, for instance, there is no outer courts or holy place. It's all the Holy of Holies. The new heavens and the new earth, it's all the Holy of Holies. God's holy, manifest, revelatory presence completely covers the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I want you to think um, about those two outer sections of the temple with me for just a second. The holy place and the outer court. I want you to think of them um, like a cocoon. Uh, and you know how a cocoon closes off the butterfly? Those two sections of the temple, they closed off God's presence to everyone except the high priest, protected everybody from God's presence except the high priest. Okay, in the garden city, the cocoon is gone. And God's presence emerges to dominate all of creation. Let that sink in. God's presence emerges to dominate all of creation. Guys, think about those times when maybe you're in a worship service or you're in your secret place or maybe you are having the most um, heartbreaking moment of your life. You're in a dark night of the soul, but that manifest weighty glory of God comes down. And you know that you know that you know that he is right there. His presence is tangible. And in that moment, even though maybe everything around you is sinking and you don't know how you're ever going to get out of this place of hurt and despair, you know that you know that you know that he's close. And you know that he's got you. And you know that he's good. And the things of earth grow strangely dim. And you have a fullness of joy, a depth of joy. You feel protected. You feel refreshed. You feel safe. You ever had those moments when the weighty manifest glory of God comes down? Okay, now ponder this sentence again. God's presence emerging from a cocoon to dominate all of creation. This is what he's wanted all along. And this is what John sees in Revelation 21 and 22, a new heavens and a new earth dominated by the presence of God. Every square inch, the earth no longer groaning because God's kingdom has been pushed into the renewed cosmos. Nothing in the new heavens and the new earth can block or barricade God's presence from his people. That's good news, right? Yes. You're looking forward to that day. Does this awaken in you a groan, an ache for the Lord to return, for the heavens to invade the earth? Okay, so this is awesome. God's presence filling everything, everywhere. 
But what are we going to do in the new heavens and the new earth? You ever thought about that before? Like, what are we going to do? Are we just going to sit up there and worship him uh, on clouds? Are, are we going to drive clouds instead of cars? Are we going to have um, swimming pools in, behind our mansions that are filled with Dr. Pepper, but the Dr. Pepper doesn't make you sticky when you swim in it? Um, it's a conversation I've had with my children before. Um, uh, is they're going to be like, Cafe cacao, French toast, and creme brulee lattes brought to you in bed every morning? Or are you going to be able to like schedule some fireside chats with people from the great cloud of witnesses that you've always wanted to talk to? Like David, can I, King David, like can we get some time? Let's sit down. Let's talk about some stuff. Let's get coffee. Uh, people like uh, Esther Lazarus, like what was that like, Lazarus? Uh, Augustine, Dallas Willard, you want to grab a coffee, Susanna Wesley, these are things that I think about. Or maybe we'll go into like a, a, a big movie theater and a heavenly movie theater and we'll sit down and we'll watch home videos of our life with the Holy Spirit sitting right next to us giving us the director's commentary. Like, this is where God kept you, and this is where you thought that your life was falling apart, but here's what I was doing behind the scenes. Like, this is where I led you. Is it going to be like that? Maybe. Maybe some of those moments will happen. That will be awesome. I'm not sure. But Revelation 22.3 does let us know that there's going to be work to do in heaven. It says, no longer will, the, will there be anything accursed, no more lying snakes, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Other translations say, and his servants will serve him. We're going to worship him and we're going to serve him. There's going to be work. There's going to be jobs for us to do in the new garden city. And maybe you're thinking, awesome. I hate work. So this is not good news at all. You are not awakening the groan in my heart right now. Um, but I need you to remember that work in God's perfect, this is work in God's perfect garden city. This is where sinless humanity's relationship to work has been restored to pre-fall conditions. You know, Adam and Eve had work to do in the garden. It wasn't punishment. It was beautiful. It's God, how God created them. It was there. They had work to do before sin entered the garden. This is work like you and I have never known work. Yeah. Isaiah 65 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So there's going to be work. It's going to be work that we enjoy. Yeah. I sometimes daydream, like ask the Lord, like, Lord, what kind of work are you going to give me to do in the new city, in the new Jerusalem? I want to know, like, what responsibilities and assignments are you going to divvy out to me? And every time I meditate on this, it gets my heart. It gets my heart. And um, when I imagine him asking me to, just like it gets my heart to sing about how he's the lover of my soul, it gets my heart to think about him asking me to join him in this assignment in the new Garden City. So, so, so I, I like to, to think about this, but I think, you know, when we do start to imagine this, like some of our jobs are going to pass away, right? We're not going to need doctors, we're not going to need lawyers or judges or wheelchair manufacturers. We're not going to need evangelists or pastors probably. And so uh, maybe you're, you, you're thinking, well, will I be unemployed in heaven then if my job here doesn't translate <laughs> over there? 
Um, no, I, I really believe that every person whose name is found in the Lamb's book of life, that God has wired you with gifts. He's put gifts in you that are irrevocable, and there will be things, assignments for you to do in this new garden city where there's no pain, there's no more death, there's no more sadness. And this thought should cause us to take pause. Oh, there's going to be work for me to do in heaven, and how do I feel about that? It should cause us to take pause and think about how we work here and now while we live in the now and not yet of God's kingdom. So, like, I tear up thinking about what assignment God is going to give me to do in heaven. Like, if he says, you can polish this little section of pearl for the rest of eternity, I will say it would be my highest honor to do that for you. But do I think of my work here and now like that? Do I look at my work the same way here in the fallen world where work still produces thorns and thistles and frustrations and stress and sweat? And we work alongside people who are imperfect, who are being transformed. Or maybe you work around people who are not even being transformed. They're just all out sinners. Um, but Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, yes. someone say whatever. whatever, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This isn't talking about someday in the Garden City. It's talking about right now in Oklahoma City. Do everything, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, like what we're asked to do at school or by our boss or what we do on, on Monday to do it with that same heart of like he's asking us in the new city to do this. There's a principle in scripture that points to what we do now somehow transfers over into the new world. There's rewards in heaven, right, for the, the work that we do here and now. Scripture's very clear about that. Tom Nelson says this, if our daily work, again, school, being a mom, being a dad, being a wife, a spouse, if our daily work done for the glory of God and the common good of others in some way carries over to the new heavens and the new earth, then our present work itself is overflowing with immeasurable value and eternal significance. When's the last time you thought about your work like that? Sitting down at your desk on Monday to go over that spreadsheet that somehow that can have eternal significance, that somehow the way that you work on that spreadsheet and you do it for his glory that somehow that carries over into eternity this speaks to this kingdom principle that if you're responsible now god gives you more responsible late or more responsibility later john mark comer says there is a one-to-one -one reciprocity between how we work now and the kind of work that we will do forever i think about stuff like this god's given me three kids right and someday when I see him face to face, I want him to say, those three kids that I gave you, you raised them for my glory. You raised them for me. You raised them. You did it like you were doing it. You did it in my name. And maybe they don't turn out perfect. They're not going to turn out perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But, and you didn't do it perfectly, but you did it in my name. And you did it for my glory. Three kids, so here's three cities for you to rule, to reign over in the kingdom. Um, or, or maybe it's the sheep that God's given Josh and I to shepherd here. Jeremiah 3.15, this is our heart that 
Um, it says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you and lead you with knowledge and understanding. And so there's something in that of like the way I prepare this message this week, last week, um, the way I do it, if I do it unto him, that there's reward for that in heaven. There's reward for that. Uh, think about the, um, that a parable in Luke 19 where the king goes on a long journey and he gives his servants, he gives the servants all a mina, which is a large sum of money. And then when he gets back, he wants an account of what they did with his investment. How many know God has invested some things in you? Yes. He wants an account of what did you do with the investment? The first servant, said, servant says, I took the mina and, um, that you gave me and I earned five more. What does the king say? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's five cities, five minas, five cities. There's a one-to-one -one reciprocity between how we work now and the kind of work that we will do forever. And I think that when we think of the rewards in heaven, sometimes we get this idea that it's like a blue ribbon on our mansion wall, or maybe we think it's like a really cool car and it's flat screen TVs and it's like material things here. Um, but I think that the reward is way more than just cool stuff. Um, John Mark Comer says, as if the best God can do is fill the new world with capitalism's perversion of the American dream. We've got to get that out of our head. The reward for serving in the nursery is not like a, a Maserati. Is that even a car that's cool anymore? I don't know. Um, the reward for more work. So what, 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 are the, what is the reward? If it's not a blue ribbon, if it's not like a cool TV, the reward for work that we do here unto him is more work and more responsibility in God's kingdom. That's one of the most exciting thoughts to ever enter into my brain. <laughs> because as much as I love a good Sabbath day and I love ple pleasure stacking, I don't wanna just sit around and indulge my flesh. Like the idea of like eating at an en endless buffet and doing nothing in the new heavens and the earth, that doesn't excite me. But the idea of like, I get to rule and reign with God in the new city like Susan and like Lucy get to reign with Aslan and Narnia, only this is real. That gets me so excited. This is our future, a new war world that is filled completely with God's presence where we will rule and we will reign with him and what we do now transfers over into that new world. This is what he's always wanted. But is it what you want? Is this what you want? Do you long for the day when heaven invades earth? Honestly, I think Christians who long for the second coming of the Lord are a very, very rare breed. Like there's not very many people walking around our city just groaning like for the day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God, groaning, aching for the day when the whole earth is filled with his knowledge. And the reason for that is we have that distorted view of what heaven will be like, clouds and precious moments, figurines. And the other reason why is because we're so caught up in the temporal things of this world that we don't sit still long enough to let God fill us with that desire, that cry, that prayer, that ache, that longing to see the earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. C.S. Lewis said, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the real want, when that ache, when that longing for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. 
We may be able to list off like 100 things right now that we are all longing for, aching for, we're desiring, without being able to see that behind every one of those 100 things is a desire for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. It's an ache for him. It's an ache for his presence filling everything everywhere. We want heaven. We do. We want the garden city. We all desire to live in a place dominated by his presence. We just don't always recognize it. And when we fail to recognize that ache for what it is, then we try to fill that ache and that longing with other things. Another vacation, another subscription to an entertainment streaming subscription, that relationship. We try to fill it with other things. C.S. Lewis again says, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. Have we ever desired anything besides heaven, really? Like if you're to really peel back the surface on all those desires, have we ever really desired anything besides God? Or do all of our appetites point to this deep longing to dwell with him? It's as if he kind of made us that way. To be with him, the one satisfying place where all the beauty came from, that's behind all of our appetites, all of our longing, the one satisfying place where all the beauty came from. And in heaven, in the new world, all that we have ever desired will be totally fulfilled. In the garden city, there's no barricades. The temple is the lamb and the temple fills the whole earth and the whole sky. So hear me today, New Song Church. While we shouldn't approach Revelation as this cosmic escape room that we're trying to bust out of, it is important for you to have a compelling vision of the new world, of the new heavens and the new earth, because a compelling future vision of what's to come will change the way that you work, the way that you live, the way that you pray, and the way that you play. A compelling vision of the whole earth covered with the knowledge and presence of God will cause you to live, work, play, and pray with urgency, with fervor, with intention. It'll cause you to be in here on Wednesdays at midweek prayer on your knees, crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. A compelling eschatological vision will help you discover meaning in the day-to-day, meaning in the mundane. We started with this quote from Willard. He says, to to live strongly and creatively in the kingdom of the heavens, we need to have firmly fixed in our minds what our future is to be like. We want to live fully in the kingdom now, and for that purpose, our future must make sense to us. We need to think about these things, because to be the living stones that we've been called to be, to be the high priest, to be a walking sanctuary where earth meets with heaven, to be an icon ushering in God's presence, our future has to make sense to us. Because when we're filled with the hope of this future that we read about, where Jesus rules the entire universe and where if we endure, we rule alongside of him, if we have that hope in us, that hope produces in us that cry, that longing, that ache for more of God's kingdom breaking in here and now. This hope in us will cause us to live differently. It will cause us to think about how our life, our new life in Christ, is supposed to be a bold witness to the decaying world. When you hear me say witness, don't think of it as like street evangelism where you're going down the Roman roads with people. There's a place for that. But when I'm talking about being a bold witness, I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm talking about your life being a bold witness. 
those of you who are in this room, who were dead in your sin, who were dead in your trespasses, but you called on the name of the Lord and you believed on him, that he would rescue you and he's raised you up together with him and seated you in heavenly places. Those of you who have experienced that, you've already experienced a taste of the future world. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You guys know this. Would you say it with me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. New creation is here now. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are an advanced sign of what's coming for the world. I need you to think about yourself like that. I need you to see yourself like that. If you are in Christ, you are an advanced sign of what's coming for the whole world. The old has passed away. The new has come. You have been laid bare and you've been found in him. Amen? Sounds a lot like what's going to happen to this earth. One writer put it like this. We have an advance on the glories of the new Eden in the midst of this present world that's passing away, a preview of coming attractions. Do you see yourself that way? A preview of coming attractions. The renovation of the hearts and lives of God's people now anticipates the coming renewal and restoration of all things. Your life, your new life in Christ can be a bold witness to the decaying world around you. John Mark Comer says it like this, we are the people of the future in the present. Ever seen a movie where somebody comes from the future, I'm from the future, and the people of the present are locked in. They are listening to what the person from the future has to say, right? You, those of you who have been found in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a person from the future. You're a person of the future in the present right now. And your life should be lived in such a way where the people of the present are paying attention, where they are captivated, where they're like, we're listening. Tell me about this new creation that is to come. Are you living into your identity as a new creation in Christ church? We've been studying the life of Jacob and our being transformed journals. And I believe that it's really eye-opening to study his life, to see this man who wrestled with God, right? He wrestled with God. He was given a new identity and a new name. But it's interesting to see him so struggle to live into that new identity. He kept wanting to live like Jacob, the deceiver, when God had given a new name to him, Israel, the God who prevails. God will prevail. The whole time you're reading the story of Jacob, you're just like, Dude, let God prevail. Stop going back to being the deceiver. Instead of showing his brother Esau after they hadn't seen each other in 20 years and God had been doing some transformative things in his life, instead of showing his brother Esau the new thing that God was doing, instead of being a bold witness to the new man that God was forming him into, he kept it to himself. He kept calling himself um, a servant. He kept calling his, his brother, master, my Lord, when that was not what the Lord said any longer. I think sometimes we fail to recognize how powerful a new creation in Christ is 
on the earth. How powerful a witness, a new creation, somebody living into their new identity as a new creation in Christ, how powerful that can be on the earth. So we just cater to whatever we think the Esau's around us want us to be like, want us to act like. We don't want to make the Esau's uncomfortable. And I think the other side of that is we don't want the Esau's to make us uncomfortable. We don't want Esau to be like, what's with the limp? And we're like, uh, I wrestled with God and he gave me a new name. And what if Esau thinks I'm crazy when I tell him that story? Listen, I believe there's some people that are, are walking around trying to hide their limp. I don't walk like I used to. I don't talk like I used to because I'm a new creation, but I don't want to make you uncomfortable and I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. So I'm just going to pretend like I haven't been transformed, that I'm not being transformed, that God isn't renovating my life. Don't shrink back. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Walk boldly with your new, with your new limp, with your new walk. I think there's people in this room right now who are struggling. You're struggling to live into your identity as a new creation in Christ because you don't feel like a new creation in Christ Jesus. You've been saved, you've been water baptized, you've been coming to church for 12 years. But it says the old has passed away and the new has come and you're like, you know what? The old hasn't passed away. I still struggle. I still do the trespassy things. So I, I having some doubt. I don't live like a new creation because I don't even know if I am a new creation. If I am actually a new creation and the old has passed away, how come I keep being dragged back into the old ways? I need you to remember the concept of now and not yet that we talked about earlier. God's kingdom is now and not yet. Like a baby in utero is now and not yet. You are a new creation right now and not yet. Paul believed that through faith in Jesus, that we are already a new creation in Christ Jesus. The moment we call on him for salvation, we are justified right then. We are a brand new creation. Also, we are becoming a new creation. We are being sanctified. We are being transformed. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are a new creation and we're also becoming a new creation, which means that we have to daily put to death the earthly things within us, that we have to daily put to death those trespassy, sinful things, that we have to daily renew our minds with God's word, that we have to daily put on our new nature. If you would stand to your feet. And I want to close today by just reading Colossians 3 over you, 3 through 17. And I want to challenge every person in this room watching online to memorize this text. Colossians 3, 3 through 17. Can you memorize it before Easter? Can you meditate on it? Can you think about it when you wake up? Can you think about it when you're going to bed? Can you say it over and over as you're driving to work, as you're driving to school? I want you to memorize this. I know it's like, that's a lot of verses. You can do it. And I believe that this is very transformative. I believe that there's some people who are not living into their new identity. And if you will get into this text that talks about putting to death the old and putting on the new, that you will begin to uh, stand up a little taller. You'll begin to showcase that limp a little bit more and you will become a bold witness to this decaying world of what's to come. So would you close your eyes and would you just let this wash over you today? It says, if then 
you have been raised with Christ. Have you or haven't you? If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above. Seek Him, seek His face, seek His glory. Behold Him, become fascinated and captivated and obsessed with Him. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, kill it. Impurity, kill it. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, put it to death. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. You used to walk in these things, but it's time to put them away. Anger, put it away. Wrath, put it away. Malice and slander, put it away. Obscene talk from your mouth, put it away. Do not lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Do not lie. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Confess your sins. Do not live a lie. You've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed. Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on the new self, which is being transformed into the image of God. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The world needs you to put these things on daily compassionate hearts, put it on. Kindness, put it on. Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgive, 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 forgive. Forgive your spouse, forgive your spouse. Forgive your spouse, forgive your son, forgive, forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Get in the word. Get in the word. Let it dwell in you richly. Meditate on it. Become one with the Word. Memorize it. Love it. Fall in love with the Word. Let it dwell in you richly. It will transform your mind, your thinking, your life, your habits. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Your new life in Christ is a bold witness to this decaying world of the future holy city. You are a people of the future in the present. Live into it. Live into it. You are a new creation. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward at this time. And if you're here today and you want to respond to this message in some way, maybe you need to come out of hiding. Maybe you've been telling lies and you need to confess sin. Maybe you want somebody to just lay hands on you and help you. Like, I want to set my mind on things above and I'm struggling. I keep being pulled back down here to these earthly temporal things. And I want somebody to just agree with me that I'm gonna be able to live into this, my identity as a new creation. Maybe you're here today and you have never called on the name of the Lord and believed on him for salvation, but you want to become a new creation in him today. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, if you're feeling a tugging, a prompting to come down and have somebody pray with you, then I wanna invite you to respond. Be bold, come up here. Don't care about what anybody else thinks. Limp your way up here. I've been wrestling, the Lord's been wrestling with me today and I'm gonna proudly go forward and I'm gonna respond and be obedient to what he's calling me to do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person. Let us not be in a hurry to miss what you want to do in this these next few moments. I pray that you would draw those who need prayer and those who, um, who don't need prayer today. I pray that as we worship, that you would seal this word in our hearts. May we never be the same. We respond to what you're doing and saying in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.